0: Grace and mercy to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about King David for a moment, but before he was King David, he was just David. David's fight against Goliath was one of my favorite Old Testament stories. Of course it would be, it probably is every young boy's favorite story in the the Old Testament. You You got a little guy, an underdog, fighting against a great man, a great giant of a man, Triumphing over all odds, triumphing over evil and saving the day. He is a, David is a classical mild-mannered superhero. But David's also known for something else. David has a habit of being a fool every once in a while. He has a habit of, of a knack of, of making costly mistakes at, at very inopportune times. At times, David is almost superhuman, and then at other times, David is, well, he's just like all of us. The first time we meet David is in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The Lord has rejected Saul as king over Israel and sends his high priest, Samuel, to Bethlehem to anoint a new king. This new king is going to come from the family of Jesse. And so Jesse brings his firstborn, his oldest boy, and goes, Here's my son. And he's strong and strapping and good-looking, I'm assuming, and Samuel thinks that this is the one. He's the oldest, he's the biggest. However, the Lord rejects the biggest son saying, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. And the Lord then goes through the rest of the eight sons and rejects all of them one by one until he finally got to David and he doesn't really get to David because David's not even there. All the boys are at home waiting to become anointed king. David is at work. He's out in the in the fields watching over the flock. He's not even invited to the party. I mean obviously somebody's got to do the work of the farming when all the boys are in there but so Jesse sends for David and when David gets there Samuel anoints him as the new king and from that day on the spirit of the Lord descends upon David and he walks in the might and in the power of God himself. Later on, Saul, unaware that David has been selected to secede him as king, sends for David to come to serve him in his court, to be his armor bearer and play the harp which soothes Saul. But before that, the Philistine kings assemble for war. And so uh, the, the Saul gathers up his armies and, and goes out to the East coast and order or the west coast of, of Israel to engage these Philistines in battle. Now the Philistines had a champion named Goliath. Now Goliath was be bad. He was bad. They said he was nine foot tall. He's like, like Hercules and Schwarzenegger, all sort of rolled up into one. Great, big, huge, mean. I mean, he was a Philistine. It probably means the day was long, right? Goliath was from the city of Gath. He was the champion of the king of Gath. And every day Goliath would go out onto the field of battle and he would taunt and make fun of the Israelites. He would challenge them to one-on-one battle. Send out your champion and we will fight one-on-one, mono and mono. And the one who wins, wins the war. And all these other people won't have to die. It'll just be whoever you send out. And you can believe it, none of the Israelites wanted to go out and fight him. <laughs> I don't know, you wouldn't have found me doing it. Yeah, I had to drag me kicking and screaming out onto this field. I'm not going to fight a guy that's nine foot tall with a pistol, <laughs> much less a rock. So the standoff continues. David arrives. David has been sent to the front line, so to speak. He's, he's there to bring food to his brothers and to bring a gift to his brother's commander. Never hurts to have the guy in charge like you. David arrives and he hears the Philistine champion. He makes some inquiries as to what all of this is about. David gets himself summoned to Saul's tent where he makes this rousing speech. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a a sheep from the flock, I went after it and I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. And the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul is so impressed, he says, go, the Lord be with you. David appears here to have then one of those very human moments. Gets himself ready for the battle, goes out to the stream, and he picks up five smooth stones. He puts them in his bag. And, of course, we all know that David wins. We all know why David wins, because David's not the one fighting the battle. The Lord God Almighty is fighting the battle. The Spirit of the Lord rests upon David. So when the Lord's on your side, you know you're going to win. The Lord's actually doing the fightings. It's the Lord who's going to kill Goliath, not necessarily David. But then, silly David, why? Why in the world did he need extra rock? For the longest time, I thought this was some sort of a failing on David's part, that, you know, maybe, maybe he was fearful he had missed, <laughs> right? If you're going to go into battle with a, with a revolver, there's no need to just take in just taking one shell, you know, take all five of them, take a whole clip just in case. But I'm thinking, what, you know, David, Why don't, do you not realize that the Lord God's with you? You're only going to need the one rock. There's just the one giant. You'll be fine. Even so, often wondered why maybe the Lord didn't punish David for his lack of faith or lack of confidence or whatever it might have been. And maybe, maybe the Lord was, you know, he was, new, he was understanding that David was new to this hero stuff, so he caught him a little slack. Do y'all remember the movie Jurassic Park? I mean, it's an old movie now, so, but most of you were... Be able to remember. Do you remember one of my favorite people in that in that movie was the British gamekeeper. You remember him? He was the he was the gamekeeper. He was the safari guy. He wore the shorts and the tall socks and the boots and out of everybody in the movie that really should have been able to make it through this Disastrous dangerous movie with all these dinosaurs running around eating people. It should have been him, right? He was good with weapons. He had a good clean sense of what the animals were like He had studied the animals. He had helped to raise the animals He knew what they were like. He knew what they could do. He knew what they were capable of And yet he doesn't make it you know why? You remember how he got eaten? It's one of my favorite scenes of all movies. I really should have put it up in here and found a clip. right? He's helping to get the power back on, and off in the distance he sees a velociraptor, and he's like, oh, I'm going to get me a velociraptor. And slowly he pulls his gun out, and he's... Real quiet and he pulls the stock out and gets his sights up, pulls it up and gets ready to fire. And then you get a candle, you get a camera sh- uh, change of angle. The camera comes from here and about when he's ready to shoot, another velociraptor comes through the bushes right here. And goes, Whoosh. He goes, clever girl. <laughs> it wasn't. The velociraptor he saw was the dangerous one. It was the one he didn't see. And this is exactly what's going on with David and his five smooth stones. You remember that the the Philistine kings had assembled for war. Kings, plural, there's more than one. The, The Philistines had five cities. Each of those 5 cities would have its own king and each one of those 5 kings would have had his own champion. When David goes out there to meet Goliath who's from the city of Gath, David didn't do anything David didn't do anything wrong. He was simply being prepared. He was ready for the champion of Gath, but he's also ready for the other 4 champions had they decided to come out And meet him in battle as well. He was not only prepared to kill Goliath. He was prepared to kill four other men had they decided to come out that day. David knew full well what it meant to live in the kingdom of God. Goliath was just one of the challenges. He knew there were other challenges. Challenges that he had not seen yet. And yet he was ready for those challenges. David didn't want to leave himself defenseless. He was not about to get blindsided by someone he hadn't seen. He was ready for a frontal attack. He was ready for a side attack. He was ready for a back attack. David was ready. He was ready for anything that the Philistines had that they were going to throw at him because the Lord was with him. And when trials and tribulations and temptations hit us, which ones are the hardest ones to face? Generally the ones that we don't see coming The ones that blindside us It's the stuff you don't expect that really hurts It's the stuff you don't are aware of the things that can knock you down I mean I was I was in seminary when my great-grandmother died My great-grandmother we just call I don't know what her first name was. We just called her granny I'm sure somebody could tell me, but I never bothered to learn what her first name was. She died at 103. I was in seminary. And when she died, we knew that we would all miss her. But, I mean, my, my earliest recollections of Granny is she was old. My, I mean, my earliest, I don't want to get in trouble at our, our senior service, but my earliest recollections of her is she was really old. So when my mother called and said that her grandmother had passed away, I went, really? I didn't know she knew how to do that. I thought maybe she had forgotten. She's like, yep, my grandmother passed away. Granny passed away. I'm going to need you to come home. And uh, the, the, the funeral will be in Wilburn. We're going to try to get everybody there. So uh, come on. And I went, okay, we'll be there. When is that? And was was okay, we can do that. It was great. She had led a happy, successful Christian life. She had a lot of people, a lot of family and friends there. It was like 65 grandkids and like, I don't know, 120 great grandkids were there. It was great. It was a great, great funeral. Two months later, my mother called me, engulfed and awash in tears. Which really set me back, because my mother's not a big crier. She'd mumble, mumble, cry, 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 dead, dead, something dead, hit by a car, cry, 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 mumble, mumble. I'm like, my dad is dead. The only thing I could think of that would unsettle my mother so much. When her grandmother died, she gone, hey, Granny died, I'm going to need you to come home. Now she's just an absolute wreck. Turned out to be the family dog. I don't even remember what that dog's name was. I just know he was the dog before Yukon, the three-legged dog. He'd gotten hit by a car. Just shattered. It's the things we don't see coming. You see, she's completely caught off. This is how the devil likes to work in our lives. He likes to work into our lives, and oftentimes he does not come at us with a frontal assault, but he comes from the side when we're not looking, when we're not paying attention, when we've not been prepared. An accident, a sudden illness, an unexpected death, a splintering marriage, a terminated job, school shootings, fight with a spouse or a coworker, a missed opportunity, money problems, COVID-19. With these little, and sometimes these, these not-so-little blind sides, the devil will try and attempt to do everything in his power to get into your life. And he will try to get into your life and shake your foundations. He will try to steal your joy. He will try to kill your faith. And he will try to destroy your confidence in the ever-living God. And Satan will try to steal your rocks. To steal your preparedness. Satan is real, and he is actively trying to destroy the faith of christians to turn us away from that which is truly and really important to turn us away from god And in times of trial and temptations, people often ask why. Why did God let this happen? Why did God not prepare me? Why did God allow Satan to have this potential to wreck someone's faith of whom I love? Doesn't God act on my behalf? Why didn't God prepare me? Except is that not what God does every Sunday? Are we not in a pattern of preparation our entire Advent season is one of preparation. Every song, every reading, every prayer, every worship, every Bible study. Yes, God could have struck down Goliath with lightning and sword and fear and power. But that's not the way God likes to work. God likes to work through people. He likes to work through me. Why did all those Israelite men have to come to the front? Why did all of those mothers have to worry about what was going on? There's more than one answer, but I like my answer the best. I think God simply digs heroes. God likes heroic faith. God likes making heroes god likes empowering heroes god likes to see our faith worked and worked well and exercised hard god likes it when the devil comes and tries to weaken our resolve tries to destroy you tries to steal your joy and you respond to that challenge and you rise up and say not today satan Be gone from me, Satan. I'm going to have nothing to do with you, for God is my rock. God is my foundation. Though the mountains quake and the the mountains be thrown into the heart of the sea, for God is with me. As Peter said in the first chapter Of his letter, verse 6 and 7, Rejoice, even now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold, that through it be perishable, is tested by fire to be found a result of praise and glory and honor when Christ finally is revealed. God loves making heroes for himself. The word hero may not even be that strong enough of a word. For mere humans, it cannot be done. For a mere hero, it cannot be done. But God has made you superhuman. God has made you a superhero because you have the name placed upon you by your Lord God and your Lord Father. And that name is Christian. You have been called to be His. He has clothed you with His righteousness. He has covered you with the blood of His very own Son. He has called us to put on the the very armor of God. As Paul says to the Galatians, it is no longer I that lives. But it's Christ that lives in me. Christ lives in me. You see, David didn't slay Goliath. God did. God used David. You can do nothing on your own. You can do nothing spiritual on your own, but Christ is with you. And He can do all things. Just as David took out Goliath, so too can you take on sin and death and the devil. For Christ has already beaten him. Christ has already won the victory. The battle has already been fought on Calvary. We have no need to fear the Philistines of this world, for Christ is risen. He's birthed forth from his tomb. Christ has freed us from bondage and he has filled us. He has filled our bag full of rocks, full of preparedness for when the day when we are needed Through baptism, God has washed away all your sins. Through confession and absolution, He hears your confession and forgives you of your wrongdoing and sends you forth to do better tomorrow. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus Christ gives His very own body and blood into your mouths in order to give you and to feed you life, to prepare you for life to come. He has given His very Word in Scripture that we might have it and to hold it and to rely upon it day in and day out. We also have have those same stones that slayed Goliath. We have faith in Jesus Christ. That true rock that we base our lives upon. And in faith, that rock of rock sustains us. Prepares us. Be at peace. For God is truly with you. The God of your fathers is truly with you. He always has been. He always will be. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.